Hi, everybody in Podcast Land and also on YouTube. I'm James. I'm David. I'm Sarah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Riley. <laughs> There's four of us? What? No way! And this is the Carpool Critics Movie Podcast, where today we're obviously recruiting extra talent to help us discuss Hereditary, this amazing, in my opinion, movie from, uh, what's this guy? Ari Aster. Ari Aster. Ari Aster. And uh. don't forget, spoiler alert! <sighs> There's going to be spoilers. And decapitation. Yeah, ooh. David, what do you give this movie out of 10? Hereditary is the kind of horror movie even Kubrick would love. It's scary how good it is. 9.3 out of 10. <sighs> wow. <laughs> I knew someone was going to mention Kubrick. Yes! It took about yeah. five seconds. Oh. oh, wow. Really? Yeah. This oh, is so this wait, good. Wait, Riley, is oh, this God. your first time watching it? Yes. Okay, well, I, I'm so excited previously to Previously, I watched you. half of it, and then we stopped because we didn't have time to finish it or something, and or I you're never a bitch. got to finish it until now. But you've seen it also in Midsummer. Yes. I call it Midsummer. I don't say Midsummer. I don't like yeah, that. Midsummer. Uh, so <laughs> give us your rating. Oh, over to me now. I wish Ari Aster, Aster? Asshole. <laughs> what? Would have conducted a seance to summon a film writing demon because Hereditary's exploration of the generational effects of mental illness and family dysfunction are exchanged for a bargain bin demonic cult slasher, which is a shame because Tony Collette did a bang up job. You don't know what a slasher is, do you? Horror thing. 6.75 out of 10. Uh 6.75. Okay. Okay. Yep. He likes the movie. I struggled with what to rate it. And that's why I settled on. What? What? So, not slasher. Sorry, demonic cult. Uh, it's like a horror drama. Yeah, <laughs> cheesy, campy horror. It's tropes. a horrorama. There you go. <laughs> Sarah, our resident expert, give us your your right. rating, your high-minded, informed rating. Okay. After my fourth viewing, I've determined Ari Aster's Hereditary is a modern-day masterclass horror film that leaves me with only one question and one question only. Where the heck does Charlie keep getting chocolate from? <laughs> Nine out of ten. Her mom doesn't even know. Hey. That's nuts in it? She summons it from a portal. I actually think that's a great mind. question. I know. And uh, I think it actually is, is uh, it's germane to the whole theme of the movie which is like how disconnected all the characters are. They don't mm. talk mm. to each other and know what's going on with each other. So I right. think that totally fits. But here's my slogan. Hereditary combines shocking visuals, psychological storytelling, and inspired cinematography to herald a new wave of quote-unquote high horror. Nine out of ten. I love this movie. Wow. So good. Oh, man. Yeah. I got my work cut out We're going to enlighten you. We're gonna oh, enlighten. You man. have no idea. No, no, no. I totally, I, I have every idea. <laughs> I totally understand everything already. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that you do like this movie, you just don't like horror movie. And so all the stuff that makes this movie special, a lot of it's just lost in you because it's not what you want out of a movie. That, but that's I, not what his slogan said. Well, I that is a real possibility. I, ha, I don't watch a ton of horror movies, but I think I was... I mean, we'll get into this, but I think the main reason I was really disappointed was because it was so good for like half or like getting up to like three quarters maybe. And I was so disappointed by the the conclusion and the mm. ending that I think it just soured the whole thing for me. Uh. Like we're going to talk about the masterful setting the mood that Ari yeah. Ma- Aster did, the acting performances, the set design, the music, everything is so great mm. for so much of this movie. 
and I left it being so disappointed that it just soured it. So interesting. We'll get into it. Oh uh, yes, we will. Right after this message from our sponsor, Hail Pyman. We're brought to you by Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs> Hail. We're brought to you by the Manscaped Performance Package Kit, which comes with a ton of stuff, including their lawnmower, waterproof trimmer, and advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks and cuts. And if there's anything I hate, it's nicks. All of them, even Nicholas's. Stevie Nicks. It New also has New York Nicks. <laughs> It has a crop preserver, which uh, crop preserver is the name for their ball deodorant. I put this on when I want my wife to notice me. Uh, the weed whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer, and their new Shears 2.0 luxury nail kit. Yeah, you can tell a lot about a person from their nails. So head to manscaped.com forward slash carpool20 today and get 20% off, plus free international shipping. And you'll get their shed travel bag. And I can tell you, that thing has got a good zipper on it. Plus a pair of anti-chafing boxer briefs, which my wife wears to bed. And it's all <laughs> just available for a limited time. So do it. you got a lot of personal details here. Well, that's what you get when you send me the stuff. That's right. <laughs> I actually try it out. We're also brought to you by Private Internet Access VPN. PIA helps you hide your true IP address so that you can bypass geo restrictions and censorship and other uncool stuff. You can connect up to 10 devices at once, and it includes an internet kill switch. <laughs> if your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily, PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, and even has a goddamn Chrome extension. So check it out at LMG. .gg slash carpoolcritics. I had to practice that to make sure I could do the noise. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the, the self-decapitation. Well, you know, I kind of did a thing on the oh, other yeah, one, yeah, so yeah. I was like, I got to... It, it, it worked. You guys were shocked. That was oh, a good yeah. cluck. I'm a horror master. That was a good cluck. Very creepy. <laughs> I got goosebumps. I know everything about horror. If you haven't seen it since, I don't know, theaters, what happens in this movie, Riley? Let me tell you. After the death of her estranged mother, miniatures artist Annie struggles with her family's history of mental illness and the burden of motherhood. One night, her son Peter reluctantly takes his younger sister Charlie to a high school party at Annie's request, leading to a fatal accident where Charlie has an allergic reaction to a slice of cake and, oh, as Peter races her to the hospital, she's decapitated by a telephone pole. That was a bit confusing. Big moment for the audience there. You either Ooh. laughed or gasped. Haunted by the accident, Peter starts hearing the noise that Charlie used to make, and Annie befriends a woman from her grief support group, Joan. Tensions in the family rise as Annie and Peter blame each other for Charlie's death. Joan convinces Annie to join her in a seance to communicate with Joan's dead son, and they actually do so. Annie ends up contacting Charlie in the same way, frightening both her husband and Steve. Whoop. Annie ends up contacting Charlie in the same way, frightening both her husband, Steve, and Peter with her apparent mania. Going through her mother's old things, Annie finds a book of incantations intended to allow a demon called King Payman to possess a young, to possess a young, preferably male, body. She also finds a photo album revealing that her mother and Joan were close friends before finding her mother's headless body in the attic. At school, Peter sees Joan yelling at him from across the street and is forced by a demonic presence to break his own nose. In an attempt to protect the family from whatever is haunting them, Annie burns Charlie's sketchbook, but in doing so, burns Steve alive for some reason. Peter wakes up in his bed and is pursued by his now-possessed mother into the attic, where he sees horrifying visions and jumps out of the window to his death. His body is possessed by Charlie's spirit and joins the cultists in the treehouse, where they worship him as Payman Incarnate. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Great ending. I, you know, I love how uh, the protagonist really realizes their journey, and uh, you know, we get this uh, exegesis, uh, this uh, fulfillment of uh, you know all the things we. Wait, a, we don't get any of that. You do get a bit of that. Absolutely, it's a tragedy. She tries when she tries to burn the book. That's her. That's her final push. 
Uh-huh. That's her last hurrah. She thinks she's sacrificing herself for the family. Right. And then I love that scene where she's just like saying goodbye to her husband. She's kissing him. And then she thinks she's she thinks because of previously when she tried to burn the book, her sleeve caught on fire. She thinks that she's going to sacrifice herself. But instead, when they toss the book in, her husband gets engulfed in flames and emulated. And when I was in the theater seeing that, I was just like almost just clapping. I almost did that. Like, wait, 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 wait. See, but all I felt in that moment was what the fuck? Why is he on fire? She she totally explained the whole connection between her and the sketchbook, and we saw it. No, because she misunderstands what the demons want or what they're doing there. She she misunderstands how the magic so works. So why did she start catching fire when the books start catching fire? Because they fire? didn't want to destroy the book right away. It's like so wait, it's the, the, the ghost king can of just mischief. the ghost can just put anyone on fire who they want to. You have to invite them into their life. So I did an what do you unnatural mean? amount of he research. He didn't invite her. Oh, in. let me tell you about my research <laughs> oh into my the God. occult. Yeah, I looked into a bunch of articles about like how this movie is tied to the occult, and like it's all based on like real mythology or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've I read articles that spell magic with a C K, so you know they're legit. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> and so all of this stuff, even when they're communicating with the grandson or Charlie. That's not really communicating with them. That's communicating. That's inviting the demons into their life. Mm-hmm. And so what they've basically done is like the people have done those seances, all those things to allow the demons to have a foothold in that home and that that's in their right. lives. So the demons have a lot of power over that family. I got that. And so that they can do what they want because they've been invited in. I, I got that. But I think the problem that I have there is when a movie sets up an internal logic and then breaks it. And the I logic don't think it's that breaking it. I think you're just misunderstanding it, the logic. Well, yeah. okay, what's it's subverting it because. So what's the logic then that the demons can just set anyone on fire okay. anytime? I did. I did research on King Payman, like okay. the actual demon from hell. Because, the real demon that exists. Yes. Um, <laughs> just to see where Ariaster was taking inspiration from for this right. movie, and Payman is actually a demon based around nature and the elements. So earth, wind, fire, and sorry, earth, air, fire, and water. Lightning. <laughs> then the fire nation so, attack. friendship yeah. <laughs> essentially he can control those things um fire for example you see that when uh annie first catches on fire and then since the whole movie is based around destiny and not having control of what happens to them um payman decides that he doesn't want to kill annie yet so he kills the husband instead yeah, and that, that's why he catches on fire okay so like after the fact after you watch the movie you can like look up all this stuff and be like oh can, can payment can control anything but then if he can control anything why doesn't he just make it happen by himself why does he need these cultists to run around and well he, he, psychologically he can't do everything yeah the demons need to be invited in there's like they can't just like step in and have power they need to be given power by the people inviting them okay into so why didn't he realm. just why didn't he just incinerate them as soon as they did the seance because he, he doesn't want them. that he wants that body and he was in Charlie's body, or he had some portal into Charlie's body. And so when they died, they switched their plan to get him into a male host, which is what he always wanted. Uh-huh. And so it's this is all like a dynamic plan. And it's like, you you think that, yeah, there is adhering to rules <laughs> where they don't, they so he doesn't want that book to be burned because that's a like a totem of power. That's like part of the way he has a Payman gra- doesn't want the book to be burned? Yeah, because that's like part of how he's grasping into our realm. Uh-huh. And so if it's destroyed, that's not helpful. It's not the end, but it wouldn't be helpful. And he's not ready to take full control of Annie yet. And so they need to like get further down the road of Annie's possession so that- Wait, 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 wait. That's why he doesn't want- So he he scares her because he doesn't want to destroy the book. So wait, Payman's in Annie. 
Not well, necessarily yeah. payment. It might be like another no, a secondary demon. I think it makes sense demon. that payment would be an Annie because sure. she kills herself in the attic, and yep. then that's why her his spirit can go into. I believe, but it's Charlie. Okay, at the beginning of the movie, oh man, Charlie is linked with payment. That's a thing, right? Yeah, Charlie. Pa- payment yes. is inhabiting Charlie at the beginning of the movie. One hundred percent. This is so okay. annoying. But you have to think about all this after no, the you fact. Don't. No, you don't, because you know that the grandmother was very attached to Charlie, and that's because Charlie, since birth, was initially King Payment. Yeah, that's all in the movie, man. A hundred percent. Well, so he, I'm not saying it's not in the movie. So Pyman, you can see it when you're watching. When Pyman inhabits Charlie, that's the beginning. Then Charlie dies, and you see that blue light all the time. Yep. That's when he's just, like, floating around, I guess. Yeah. Then when uh, Steve gets engulfed in flames... That's when Annie gets taken over. Uh, you can see the blue light goes over her, and she's like, yeah. ugh. Then she gets taken over and does a bunch of mischief. Yeah. Then uh, Peter uh, gets driven insane and jumps out of his window. When he's lying on the ground in the lawn, you can still hear, I believe you can still hear Annie cutting her own head off. Yeah. Then you hear her finish. There's silence, the, and the body, body hits drops. the ground. No, then it's the you, head first. You hear the, like, head... It's like because you can hear it roll a little bit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and then and then you see the blue light float out of the window because it has just left Annie's body and then inhabits Peter finally. Yeah. See, okay, so you're making it se- make a little more sense the kind of like uh, logistics of how this all <laughs> the, yeah. the, there's a the, lot the there's demon possession works. There's a checklist. We have to do it. Yeah. But I think that the the real thing that oh, do, should we keep talking about what bothers me or should we talk about what's no? Not? Let's talk about the good. You talk about the awesome shit in this okay, movie. Okay, let's so talk much about good. the good stuff. I knew this movie was we'll awesome in the first this. five minutes of the yeah. movie because of the movie's opening image. I went in this completely blind. I didn't see the trailer or nothing. I'm sitting there in the theater, and the first image is of the treehouse. Mm. And when you see, you know how it is. You've seen movies before. You see that opening image. You're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be. This is going to be important later. So they're imbuing this like pretty much inert object. It's not a creepy treehouse. It's like actually kind of a nice postmodern treehouse. But they're imbuing it with meaning just by virtue of placing it there, right? Right. And it also sets up a payoff we're going to see at the end because we're going to see reversal where that's it's not an innocuous treehouse. It's glowing red. It's like the site of ritual. Normal treehouses do not glow red. Mm -mm. (laughs) It's heat lamps, but it's it's okay. So then then they zoom out and it starts to pan around the room and then it's this one awesome one er shot. And so now I'm thinking this is sick cinematography. This is why this iconic conjures up like Kubrick esque kind of nostalgia because. It doesn't need to be there at all. This is not a normal slasher or horror movie. No. This is I, I know horror fans are split on, and some hate the concept of high horror, but I think this is the kind of thing that pushes into that realm where you get this awesome shot that pans around a whole room, zooms in on this one particular dollhouse, does some kind of weird match frame where suddenly it's not a dollhouse, it's the actual set and we're in the world. Yeah. That was amazing. The but not only that. Of that. <laughs> What? The symbolism of that? This is the other thing I was going to say. Yeah. It sets up the themes of the movie right. because and, a, and characterization. We're learning, okay, we're in some kind of place where there's dollhouses, so I guess we know something about the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the themes, like why why are we always looking through miniatures? What does that right. say? Uh, I heard the, the director said pretty explicitly it's because they, the characters don't have agency. It's because they're their like attachment to this demon is, is hereditary it's passed down to them there's like really nothing they can do with it their lives right. are mm-hmm. the strings are being pulled by these greater beings that right. are outside of us and so just in that first like two minutes you get all of this yeah. and i was just like i was just ready 
Well, ready to and clap in again. That, <laughs> and the end of that shot, they set up the brilliant visual pattern that they're going to do for the movie. Basically, when people aren't aware of the spiritual realm, there's an unnatural amount of headroom. They have they shoot things where people are in like the bottom third of the frame, and there's two frames of like almost two thirds of empty. There's usually a line separating the top third, and that's a consistent thing throughout the movie. And I when didn't they, notice that when the characters break through to the spiritual realm, when they're possessed or they're having this, they're often above that line, and that's a very consistent thing. When Tony Collette, there's a scene. In the hallway, because it's again, it's the wood up to the two-third mark and then paint at the top. When she's kind of like just normal, she's below the line. And then she has a moment where she connects with Charlie's room and then steps above it. There's tons of like other scenes like when they're having dinner and stuff. They're very consistent. Every time people aren't aware of the spiritual realm, there's way more headroom. Yeah. And it's like there's something going on that these people don't know. And they set it up in the first fucking shot. It's almost as if there's other... Uh, characters in the frame, but totally. they're just invisible. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's really great. I I didn't pick up on that specifically, but like I do, like I said, you know, the first half, three quarters of this movie, I just like it feels. I agree with you, James, that like it sets it up right in the beginning that this is you know this is going to be a good movie. Like, um, yeah, it's like a lot of things that I can't even really uh, express, but I yeah, it has that feeling of quality. I think I wonder if you feel like it doesn't satisfy on the thematic side. Because it doesn't really have answers for you. It's more just like an open exploration that ends with a like a epic horror showdown. But you feel like there's no closure to these arcs. There's no I will like there's no agency to these characters. I wonder if you're kind of totally. feeling that. I I will own up that it is definitely like a personal preference of mine for movies to have something to say that's concrete instead of like this movie has stuff to say but my problem is that the stuff that it says is like an introduction and there's mm. no and there's no maybe there's a bit of the like if we're talking about an essay right there's an introduction and there's maybe like half or two-thirds of the body mm -hmm. but then there's no real conclusion and there's no real elucidating like diving into the issues even deeper like they 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 put up the theme of hereditary trauma mm -hmm. they put up the theme of struggling with motherhood uh and then they don't really say anything about it because the characters never get to a point where they can address it mm. peter is this like stoned out loser bro and he never really gets to a point where he confronts that fact mm. or confronts anything beyond just kind of being scared and then dying but that is the message yeah. the message what? is what's the is message they don't I, confront their trauma they yeah. don't have conflict with one another and that leads them all to peril and death See, that would have been a great lesson that could be taken away from this movie if there was some character who didn't do that or who confronted something in some way but here's the thing is that as mentioned before, James, you said like the dollhouse going into the dollhouse at the very beginning yeah. is supposed to symbolize like outside forces manipulating what's ha actually happening in their lives. Right. Um, but that's not the only time that you hear them talking about that. Um, while Peter's in class as well, they're having a lesson about Astopheles or something where mm. he's also mentioning Hercules. He thinks that he's playing this game. He thinks that he has control over what's happening, right. but really he's being manipulated by these outside forces. And that's why you don't see the characters do the things that you want them to because their destiny is already planned for them. Yeah, you can actually hear the teacher say, murder was commanded by the gods. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I and that's a that's a funny scene because, you know, this is like a it's a great trope when you're in a classroom and there's a lesson being taught and you know, the the film doesn't pay specific attention to the lesson yeah. being taught, but it's in the background. You're like, this is probably something to do with the theme <laughs> of the movie. Well, it'd be such a missed opportunity if it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like one of the girls in the class says like, "Oh, so it's just uh, we're just pawns in a terrible hopeless machine." So it's like Oh, there we go. There's the theme of the movie. Um, my problem isn't necessarily that the characters don't do what I want them to do. My problem is that the characters lack, well, they lack agency, but that idea is presented and then just I th- left. I think it's each character it's like, serves as an exploration of different facets of the idea. Do we, do, we, do we want a character that says, hey, I'm going to fight this despite there being no agency, and then they fail regardless. But like none of the characters show a real understanding of what's going on. I disagree. I think that Tony Collette char- character does, but it's like her hereditary drama goes so far that like she's hopeless from the beginning. Because she's she she's the one with the most agency. She's the one that's actually trying to stop all this stuff. Right. But the message of the movie is that like you're pretty powerless against your like mental illness that's handed down by your But is it mental illness? So well, it's not. It's not. But this is this is the other thing that I, I'm like. There was a potential here to talk about real world issues mm-hmm. like mental illness and like yeah. struggling with motherhood. But instead, Ari Aster kind of uses this as like dressing on something where he just kind of wants to have a beautiful fuck up at the end. You know, like I I wrote and as 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 uh, Peter's going into the treehouse and he's like incarnate as as Payman. I'm like I appreciate the fucked up beauty of this whole situation. But, like, so what? Like, we're descending into madness, and what do we learn? That sometimes life sucks. This is, I mean, this I is a really, theme that keeps like, recurring. reducing what, what's going on. And I think, like, we should stick on I some totally positive am. things for a little yeah, bit. Let's go back to positive things. Because I want to go to, like, like the Like, we've talked a little bit about the visual storytelling, but the idea of having her be a miniature maker mm. is so brilliant. Because then you it's get great. all these, like visual cues as to where her mental health is at like when she makes the the diorama of her daughter's death you're like ooh, that's fucked up but then they also use that later for foreshadowing when there's the shot over the car and for like uh like five frames the head's gone and so you're like what does that mean why is the head gone from this diorama right so we got foreshadowing there and you can also see like okay instead of giving us all this backstory through flashbacks that a way worse movie would do like most horror movies would have like the flashback of her holding her mother's hand in the hospice being like i love you and hate you mother that's just she does a little diorama and they talk about it you for get a to second. go inside you don't have yeah. to hear her in a monologue totally. you don't have to hear like a voiceover it's totally visual which is totally totally awesome oh. no, I, I i thought that was really cool too like yeah. the the miniatures as a i think it was a great uh, uh, exploration of how they like compartment mentalize things mm-hmm. too like they don't tell each other yeah so like there's so many uh, uh, parts where they're lying to each other she says annie tells her husband that she's going to the movies when she's going to the support group yeah uh steve gets a call from that uh, saying that the grave was dug up and he Doesn't withholds that her. information so they're like compartmentalizing things in their own life in the same way that the miniatures have these like separate but rooms this is what stuff. i'm saying that's how they're each a a different aspect of the problem because Steve like he kind of means well but he, uh, <laughs> he's still not engaging with anybody else yeah and then you've got the son Peter he's just like smoking pot and bottling everything up to the extent that he doesn't even tell his mom he just lets his mom find her daughter's Gosh, body totally. holy holy crap this movie goes there yeah, yeah. holy yeah, shit no, that's intense. a great moment yeah oh yeah and then she she's just angry she's also not communicating with anyone and when she does she blows up at them and there it's just all these different facets of the yeah. same problem so yeah. I, I think it's I, I I disagree with you that it's not very developed. 
I don't think that the initial exploration is underdeveloped. I think that that like what I'm trying to say is that there's so much laid, there's so much groundwork laid, and there's so much quality up front that the payoff is not there. I see. I disagree because I think that the the, the final payoff is the punctuation on this full paragraph. That it's part of this, and like the um, the intellectual journey is mostly over when the book is burnt and the husband's burnt, but to like heighten the emotion because like originally this was just a family drama and he wrote in the horror stuff after what it does is it it definitely feels like that it it's (laughs) it feels like a family drama with horror tacked on the end i don't i disagree i think that it was tightly integrated into the beginning and like it's a slow ramp up and you don't really know when you get this like horrific sense of dread like we don't know what minute what scene it is you're like this is all fucked up, but at some point, when that head comes off, for sure, yeah, you're like everything is building towards this thing, and it feels like we've been like I feel like it's a, a, a earned payoff for all this insanity that we've seen. Oh, going back to the miniatures for just one second. Uh, one other thing they did that I didn't notice in my first viewing is they brought in information we've already heard because Annie says that uh, I I gave Charlie to my mother, and hmm. and she says to Charlie like. Your, my m- grandma wouldn't even let me feed you. Grandma oh, yeah. wanted to feed you, yeah. and then the miniature shows the grandma yeah. beside Charlie like, with her breast out, like so she's like, weird. like literally wanted to breastfeed yeah, you. Like, yeah, that's I messed think, up. I think that's Annie's way of like trying to understand everything that's happening in her mm-hmm. life. Like that's just her way mm-hmm. of feeling like she has control over everything that's going the on. The miniatures. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it gives her this overview of everything that she's seen, just like the grandma standing in the door. Um, You know that the grandma died with disassociative identity disorder as well as dementia. Mm. Um, So that's Ari Aster playing on the mental illness and mental health. Um, We also know that Annie's brother committed suicide because his mom or the grandmother was trying to put people inside of him yeah um yeah but this is all just their interpretation like oh she had well first of all they just say DID and you're like it just totally goes over your head if you don't know what that is. It's split personality disorder, yeah, basically. Yeah. And then, oh, my brother has schizophrenia. It's like, these are just their interpretations uh, of actually they're possessed. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, another thing, too, is I believe Ari Aster kind of intended on this movie being like a second watch type of a movie because mm. the first time you watch it, you're there kind of feeling what the family feels. You're part of the family and your view is with the family. Second time you watch it, you feel like you're more of part of the cult like you're just watching them go through all of these things that you know is going to happen yeah Um, actually i have a question for you there because i felt a similar feeling i felt this feeling uh both with my rewatch of midsummer which happened on saturday and my rewatch of hereditary which happened on sunday on both rewatches i really had a different emotional experience because on the first watch which is always more emotional i just had this dread and like i was so unsettled and i love that feeling that he was just able to get this very specific color of emotion in me that maybe i never felt before but that was just absent on the next watches because i i just knew it was going to happen and i'm just being more cerebral about it and like watching midsummer and thinking about how he's gaslighting her and stuff like that and not thinking about like well the guy's in a bear exactly. <laughs> yeah, 100%. he's in a bear yeah. all right uh midsummer slight spoilers we'll, yeah we won't, we won't really spoil it that See, one, but. now i want to say this is interesting to me because you say that I'm not a fan of horror, but I think the re- one of the main reasons why that I was disappointed by the ending is because it's it 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 tarnishes the horror of the movie by telling us exactly what's going on. 
the, the as you say, James, the 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 best thing about horror to me is the dread, is the is the helpless, hopeless, uh, just anxiety that you feel upon watching these people contend with forces oh, beyond man. their control. I couldn't disagree more. Please finish. I'm the a, thing. Okay, I'm look. A, well, okay. This is this is psychology. All right. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> what what is scared? What we are scared of yeah. is the unknown. Yep. As far as long as 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 soon as we find out what something is and we understand it and yep. take it apart, then it's not scary anymore. I think that you missed the point of the ending, though. That point of the ending isn't the horror. The point is like for you to feel how twisted it is because like it's actually very much a release. If you're supposed to feel good when the happy music's playing, everyone's like king payment, there's no more dread, there's no more fear, there's no more pain. Everyone's like king payment. No, no, I did appreciate it. in the end the the music is like triumphant. Totally. And I think that's yeah. why it's so cool is like it it's not supposed to be like Oh God, we're gonna get Hereditary too, like scary Return of the Payment. It's like no, like this <laughs> is like this, Payment's Revenge. This is like you in your head, you know how dark this is, but in your heart, you're like, this is happy. I feel good about this. If you're a Satanist, yeah. No, I felt <laughs> but like, I but like on the emotional level, like the the cues are there for a positive impact. Like it's warm lighting, everyone's smiling. There's weird nude people, sure, but maybe that's your thing. You know what I think? But like I, the music, yeah. Like it's it's. On an emotional level, if you remove the intellectual aspect of it, you're like, this is kind of their like suffering nice. has ended. Yeah, honestly, the like, I'm, over. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You yeah, know? <laughs> great. That's awesome. <laughs> but I think that I think that it's a it's a mistake at the end of the day because I'm not horrified by something that I fully understand. And like, there were some there were some problems with the logistics, and I want to know the the steps and how to possess people and set people on fire <laughs> or whatever. But like at the end, I know exactly what's going on. I'm like, oh, she's possessed. Okay, and then he falls down, and then the person the spirit goes into him. But Riley. Oh, and this was all a, uh, a scheme to get payment into the body, and then they got him into the body. Okay, great. I'm not like, I'm not like, my mind is not blown. Like, before all that happens, I'm like, what is going on? What the fuck? Like, I... Maybe, maybe I'm... Maybe this is just me, like, liking and wanting more cosmic horror. Like, I... I, I think... You you don't you you don't like Annihilation the movie as much, but like I like the second half of Annihilation. Right. The first half is just very amateur. Sure, sure. And but like the feeling that you get from Annihilation, where it's just like you still don't understand at the end of the movie, you're like, but you understand enough for the journey to complete. But you there's still so many unknowns, and there's like no unknowns in this one anymore. But you like a good whodunit. You like Knives Out. In those movies, they wrap it all up in a nice bow. Yeah, but the, the, so the, what's the difference? Just genre? Because the, the purpose of mystery is to fulfill the mysteries, to have that release of like, this is what happened and we know everything that happened now. Boom. There we go. That's the movie. But horror is supposed to leave you horrified. Yeah, but I, and I, think, I wasn't, I mean, maybe but it's just your expectation. Maybe it's I'm desensitized. Yeah. That's just your expectation. And I think like you went in expecting to like leave it bewildered. But that's not the intention of the director. Clearly, he's like, I want this to close. I want this to have an answer. And I want this to leave people like questioning kind of what they saw, but also having an understanding and thinking about it. I was thinking about this movie for like four yeah. days after. <laughs> and even on the rewatch, I was like, oh, my house is dark. Is the door locked? <laughs> yeah. um, I'll be honest, too. My first experience watching this movie, I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? I was so confused. I had to watch an mm. explanation video. Right. And then second watch, I started picking up on so many different mm. things that honestly left me with such a different feeling. And I appreciated the movie a lot more. Um, there was something else I wanted to mention too. Um, oh, okay. Uh, with what David is saying is like, you do still get this like satisfaction at the end of like, you watch this family go through so much shit. Like they, they fight and the comfort, the horror of this movie is like, 
you find your comfort in your family and then you see this family just like tear each other apart. And then at the end, you see um, Alex Wolf's character kind of like, well, obviously he died and he's reincarnate of Payman, mm. but he has this family that like... <laughs> he's got a special know, family now. Just all of the grief is like ended. And yeah. he has his totally. new family, kind of. I wanna, so you, you're kind of criticizing the fact that the ending isn't horror, but I want to praise every horror bit before that. Because like Great. a yeah. lot of horror movies are like a burger and fries. They're just like scary things, scary things, scary things. This is like high class tiny morsel food and they just give you a little bit at a time and each yeah. bite is so no it's great and did you know that there was a, the original scares. original edit was uh four <laughs> no wait 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 an oh hour longer God. three hours okay, long three hours okay. three hours long no, and it was long. no more horror they kept all the horror stuff oh, it wow. was just way more drama so yeah. they had for example the dinner table scene oh man Great that was scene. actually the first scene of a three-scene sequence wow. where that fight continued and they, uh, Tony Collette's character Annie fought with her husband Steve in their bedroom for a bit and then Steve went into Peter's room for a bit and they just kept going. Yeah. But then he realized like, okay, this is boring and it needs pacing above all. Even yeah. if I like that performance and I like yeah. that scene, uh, they ultimately just determined that it was like leaving the questions hanging at the end of the dinner table scene yeah. way better. It was way better. Yeah, but like... Yeah. I love that scene. Speaking of the dinner table scene real quick, I don't know if either of you, any of you notice this, but during the cuts going back and forth between Tony Collette's character and um, Alex Wolf's character, That's the Peter? food, yeah, the food on Peter's plate kept changing. Oh, is that yeah. continuity yeah. error? It's hard. Yeah. Low budget movies, like you can't yeah. really... Like, <laughs> what was the budget? $10 million. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that explains like, why the VFX... Look, I don't want yeah, to bring up another bad thing. I but agree. But they, they're, they do it smartly. Most of it's practical, but a few of the light flashes, uh, especially the like last the blue one, light thing. Yeah, on Peter when it like goes into his body, it's like the blue lights didn't look well. Most of them are practical, but the ones that aren't are like like Wait, so those the blue sc- lights were practical. In the, yeah, most of them oh, are. Cool. But in like the hallway when it does the big like. That's why they looked good. Yeah, the ones that aren't are not. The flies, man. The flies, yeah, and the, flies the, ants. And the ants. Oh, yeah. the ants were Although, the ants when they're bad. on his face, that looked good. That's fine. None of that really stood out to me as bad. The only uh, thing that I thought looked hokey was when Annie is possessed and she goes <laughs> like floating by the yeah. background sideways. That just looked a little oh too my. floaty. I yeah. laughed out loud at that point because I'm like, like come on. I, I found what that mostly scary. Like the one where he's, Peter's in his room and she's in the darkness and you can't really see her. I love like the way they use darkness just oh, God. the right amount in this movie. Like the same with the first, kind of the first supernatural moment is Annie's mom appearing in her studio. And right. in, a, in a shitty horror movie, you would have your ghost be like zero to like 20% black yeah. and you'd have like maybe a couple highlights to make it like really pop and your eyes kind of drawn to it. But in this, they don't even go all the way to zero. Like the background's still darker and it's only goes to like 20% and it's such a different effect, but it's so much more visceral because you're like, that is so unnatural that, that it's really good. not part of this room, but it's so there and like, yeah. for oh. me, no, I, no, I find great. my eyes searching the scene like when you're looking in the dark and yeah. then it your eyes don't immediately go to the totally. thing. You're looking, looking, and then you think you see the yeah. thing. Yeah, so good at that. No, that yeah. was so good because you think like there's a moment where you're like, "Is that the grandma?" I'm like, "Oh, it totally. is the grandma." Yeah, and then yeah. there's a great edit there too. The lights come on, yep. and yeah. it, she's gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the editing in these guys' movies are, is sick. So. I there's that there's was... an awesome uh, okay. crossfade in this movie hmm. where it's a crossfade is just like you're looking at one scene and then it kind of dissolves and fades to the next one. But he takes like 25 seconds to do it. 
it's uh, a really long. It, it's got fade. Peter. Uh, it's like Peter walking down the hall and then going to bed or something like that. It's right after he's come home from mm. Charlie being killed. And uh, the crossfade is there's so much overlap between the two images that you can see like a little Peter in the center of the screen and like a larger one around it or oh, something. Yeah. It's it's just really oh, cool. Man. And in Midsummer, there's some awesome edits too when she uh, they cut to her, them being on the plane. Like oh, a door yeah. closes or something and then suddenly it's like the airplane door. Yeah. It's just like editing sick. They do a lot of good stuff like where she's in the car and then you just hear a door open and she's in the, the gym where they're having the support group. But I think my favorite edit is when they're putting Charlie into the ground and it's just the, the camera going into the ground right, and it goes right. behind the dirt. And then they, because that's part of like the vertical space theme where there's like there's more below and more above that we understand. But then they, the the one like tiny shot that's just passing by the miniature of the houses that are sinking into the quicksand below the stairs did you guys notice yeah. that miniature oh yeah yeah. that yeah. is the coolest miniature in this entire that's really movie cool. and i'm and glad like that they actually the showed theme. it yeah i love that it like it just fits into the seam of like things are going down we're, things are going down but, but i also like read it as like a hereditary thing where like mm. this is all the houses that you're totally. built on like yeah. you're not you're not oh. isolated totally you know? fun little but, fact here uh jennifer lame who is one of the main editors of this movie went on to work on christopher nolan's tenet right afterwards oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right after she didn't do anything in between had a kid or she something? also did midsummer um oh. But I haven't seen Tenet, so... The editing yeah. in Tenet's not the problem. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, the one thing I wanted to say about that ghost, the grandma ghost scene in the in the dark or whatever, I thought that was a great setup for the later scene where uh, Peter, it happens a couple times in the movie, where Peter wakes up in the middle of the night and he's looking around his room and he's like, uh, he's like, is, is somebody there? And he's trying to see yeah. something. And then it, at one point it cuts to this chair in yeah. his room that has a bunch of hoodies on it or whatever. Yeah. And it kind of zooms in. And it looks like Charlie. Well... No, but no, no. There's, but there's nothing there. No, but you think that's, but, my but brain was like that. The movie has yeah. trained you to look for these things. Totally. So like I'm looking like at that shot, I was like looking close. I'm like, yeah. is there is there something I'm missing? Totally. That <laughs> is so amazing. It's great. Yeah. The effect that you get in your chair is like you're so engaged. Yeah. yeah. If like a Ooh. jump happened in there, you would just fly out Ooh. of your chair. And then later on, when it is Charlie in his room and then her head rolls off and it becomes a basketball. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was yeah. great. I great. love that yeah. this movie really withholds the jump scares. Like I'd say the only pure jump scare is when Tony Collette's been fully possessed and you see her, they're in the like foyer of the house and you see her in the corner and then uh, Peter's attention's drawn to the naked smiling dude, which is really unsettling. And he goes back and she's gone. But then the camera angle changes and she runs out from the yeah. darkness behind him. <laughs> That's like the one pure jump scare, but it's so effective because everything else has been like, even like the surprising stuff still holds, still isn't like jumpy. Or it's and your fault. Like, yeah. all it is is just a cluck noise, and you're like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. No, the cluck noise. And yeah. so, yeah, it's great restraint, because that's, like, the, the most basic tool of the horror filmmaker is the jump like, scare. Like and James said, if, if there was a jump scare in that chair hoodie scene, like, it would work. But, totally. like, the, the fact that they didn't is, yep. like, amazing. Truly. Yeah. I think the scariest scenes in here aren't even jump scares, like, when yeah. Tony Collette is hiding in Peter's bedroom. And you don't necessarily <laughs> see it on the first watch, because you're so focused on Peter, the main character at this point yeah um and then obviously second watch you're looking more in the shadows and you see her there totally. and like james said before it's like after you finished watching the movie you're looking around your room you yeah. you don't want it to be dark because you're like something is hiding in the shadows uh, <laughs> i think it's my favorite moment in the entire movie is yeah. her floating in his room because you like you said it's like you can barely see it and it takes like a couple seconds before your eyes like oh and you just catch it. Oh, I you mean it. when she's like just pinned to the corner of the pinned living the corner. room? Yeah. And it's, no, no, his no. bed, his bedroom. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because the one in the living room, you can see pretty clearly. Like, the contrast is high enough. But the one in his bedroom, it's much lower contrast, and she fades much more into the wall. There's so much good imagery, man. Like, how about during her sleepwalking interaction with Peter, where suddenly... It's like a shot reverse shot. You're talking. I'm talking. goes back and forth between them. And then suddenly it cuts back to her and she's just soaking wet. Yeah. And then so is he. And they're just covered in lighter fluid again. Oh, yeah. that was What a good. great way to reveal that. Oh, this is a dream. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I love like they do a, like two nightmare sequences in this movie. And often nightmare sequences can be so cheesy and tacky. And it's such a cheap filmmaker trick to be like, here's a shocking thing. Just kidding. It's not real. Yeah. But it feels so earned in this movie because you're so much with the characters on their journey that like it doesn't feel like it's like the filmmaker ripping their like the the veil off your eyes you're like no these characters are really experiencing this and i'm experiencing it with with them i also thought that was amazing because it's kind of like the inception of sleepwalking where she like initially is sleepwalking but then she wakes up but then she wakes up again yeah and the great thing about that is not only that it's like oh we're doing it twice uh, gotcha yeah. but we actually don't know whether she's really sleepwalking totally. because by that time they have established that there's real paranormal shit going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So then we're like, wait, is she is she, is yeah. she sleepwalking or she's not sleepwalking? Yeah. She was like, this is part of the paranormal totally. stuff. And it, and it builds into the, the side of like, we, we find out that she almost killed her, her and her son before and it kind of adds to the, like, was she trying to do it? Was the sleepwalking a lie? Yeah, we don't know. Trust. Yeah. We don't know if she's a reliable narrator. Totally. We don't because for the first half of the movie up into the midpoint, we are on the same level as the characters. We don't know anything more than they know. Right. It's only until the supernatural stuff is actually like explicit when she has the séance where we're like, okay, now we know as the audience, we're in a superior position where we know that there is paranormal stuff yeah. for sure. I Some to... characters know, but Steve doesn't know. And then right. for the next half of the movie, it's Steve being gaslighting her, being like, you're nuts. Yeah. Uh, but we know she's not. I wanted to talk about that introduction because the point at which the movie makes it clear that paranormal shit's going on is, uh, it's just, it struck me as goofy, particularly because uh, when she's having the seance with Joan, and they have their hand on the glass or whatever, and she's like, move the glass or whatever. It moves just a little bit, and you're like, oh my gosh, what? Is, is this real stuff? And then it moves more, and then she's like, I got the chalkboard. And then he starts, the ghost starts writing on the chalkboard, or payment does, or whatever. And and, then, and, and he's like freaking out. She's like, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do this right now. And Joan says, Louis, or Louis, we're going to stop for a second, but I'll be right back. <laughs> like... Hold on a second. What's your issue with this? That yeah. just seemed so. So I I laughed. You guys didn't think that was funny? No, because it's like to her, this is sweet and lovely that she gets in touch with her kid. But as the audience, you're more on Tony Collette's side. We're like, this is really fucked up. I thought, man, I, yeah, I didn't. It didn't so bother wait, me at wait, all. Wait, you're telling me that wasn't meant to play for comedy? No, no I, don't I don't think so. so. Oh my gosh, um, that's so. We cool. actually see uh, some paranormal activity right before that when Tony Collette is painting, and I don't know if you guys noticed this either, but the blue paint mm. thing oh, yeah. Yeah. falls over, and she doesn't actually hit it with her hand. That's right, and you can oh. see it. You can falls see onto Joan's number, and right. that's the first time that she's like, "Okay, maybe I'll call Joan." Oh, okay. So the demons so are forcing her hand, and you can see the blue light in the background. It glints off yeah. some see, that, of reflective. That kind of stuff yeah. though is cool. I like that stuff because it's not so cheesy it's not so in your face it's like something mysterious happened oh maybe yeah. it just knocked over maybe it didn't annie's paint falls on joan's number but before this they get a spiritual ritual pamphlet in their door mm -hmm. 
And the cult had actually intended for Annie to go to that seance, right. but she didn't. And that's why Payman was like, okay, the next best way for me to get her to do the seance is Joan. Joan. Yeah. Um, so she, he spills the paint on Joan's number and she ends up going to the craft store where she meets Joan. Right. Uh, here's another little tidbit is that Joan actually had just purchased the chalkboard. It's in the back of her car. Oh, uh, that's funny. Wait, um, and that's when she tells her about seances, about right? About the seance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's where she lures her to go to her house. She's like, totally. please, Annie, come, come with me, please. Like yeah. they conjured my grandson and yeah. I got to talk to him. And she's then so Annie but she's present at the first group therapy scene, right? No, actually, I looked for one. her on the fourth watch oh. and Joni no, 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 isn't she is. at, uh, she isn't at the first one. She is. is I she? saw her. If she is, I'm like, there's, no Lydia ca- there's no camera. There's no camera. There's no camera angle on. There's no shot right on her. There is. She, oh no, not right group, on her. Group wide. On the yeah. group shot, she's on the left side. On the reverse shot, that's of, so funny. Uh, I noticed her. I, I love that she was just buying the chalk because she even has the lie where she's like, oh, like Lewis loved playing with this chalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is his connection yeah. to me, it's kind like, of a thing. One, uh, one note about that actor in my mind when I was going back for the second viewing, I was like, yeah, yeah. And remember the uh, Joan, I think she's played by that lady from Titanic. So that was, you know that lady <laughs> in Titanic who is like the new money lady like with the southern accent? Fuck. Oh. Is she the same? Is it the same is actress? It the same lady? No, it's not. Kathy <laughs> Bates, isn't it? It's Kathy Bates, isn't it? No. It sounds right. I don't know. She's definitely a Kathy, Kathy Bates. Bates. Well, sort of. Have you guys seen A Handmaid's Tale? The Handmaid's uh, Tale? A little bit, yeah. She's Aunt Lydia. She's like oh. the evil uh, handmaid uh, boss. Speaking of actresses. <laughs> Tony Colette. <laughs> no, uh, the grandmother, actually. Ari Aster never discloses the actress for the grandmother. What? Yeah, you. nobody knows who she She's is. She's uncredited? Uncredited. She she's really? just a random person in his life. He's he he acknowledged her as the sweetest person he knows. Just so everyone, that's it. just so you're clear, <laughs> she's really not it. actually part of a cult. Yeah, she does her yeah. job well. Like even like just the photos of her like yeah. getting showered with the gold coins. I'm like, I hate her and I hate everything. Yeah, so much. Exactly. she's got she such just a good got look. That face. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the like, picture of her smiling totally, at the funeral yeah. is the so ghost creepy. version of herself. Like, yeah. ooh, she's definitely creepy. She's got a yeah. great headless body. You know, how about that little girl though? Uh, Millie Shapiro. Yeah. She's actually a TikToker now. Wow. <laughs> oh, so, so how much of her creepiness is innate and how much is like put on prosthetic makeup in this? No, that's her actual face. Yeah. She's not altered at all? Nope, not Hashtag at all. No I mean, filter. She, in real life, she wears like makeup and stuff. Yeah, like, she a lot like of a makeup. Normal. Yeah, they don't do her any favors in this movie with the lighting and they the hair really, yeah. and... The creepy yeah, vibe the and the vibe. pigeon heads. Yeah, yeah, pigeon heads aren't a good look. I would say that the first paranormal thing actually happens to her, and that's when she walks outside and she just sees her grandma like sitting in like a circle of fire. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And her that's mom true. doesn't see that. But that's like the first time where it's. I, I guess that's those. There's moments before, but they're deniably not, or like you could deny that they're supernatural. Totally. I guess we don't. Is it her grandma sitting there? Or is it just a lady standing? It's there? it's the grandmother. It's probably her. Grandma. Okay. Yeah. And Tony Collette Annie doesn't. I think she doesn't go far enough. No. Physically, that she would be able to see that. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, well, yeah it seems like I think that. it's in her mind. Like, I think... Well, I, it's... Do you think Charlie's imagining it? Yeah. Maybe. It's like a vision. Yeah. Well, that's I, what you don't know about things like, for example, exactly. when Charlie's in Peter's room, if Annie walked in, would she also see Charlie or is it just for Peter? Who knows? Mm. I prefer I, when mm. they're visions. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, I, I do have a question about the sleepwalking, though. The scene that doesn't actually, like feel like she's sleepwalking or this is actually happening is when um annie is trying to pull off peter's head 
when he's yeah. in right. bed. Like I don't know if that actually, like, did no, she yeah. actually try to pull his head off? Who knows? Who knows? In we one of know. her dioramas, though, before that scene, we see him headless on the bed. So That's I wonder true. if that did actually happen. Because then Peter's like, you tried to pull my head off. I, I like that scene. No, where, like, you it, really yeah. don't know if she's sleepwalking still, if... She actually came in and tried to save him. Like, you just don't know. No. And I don't that, think the movie has great. The, the final answer for I th- you. I think in a different movie where we didn't have the combination of, like, mental illness and paranormal stuff, that that you would you would just be like, oh, this is just cheap. Mental like, the, that's the, the filmmakers are just kind of, like, it's tricking hereditary. us or Yeah. But, in, but because we have both of these elements, we are asking, is this real? Yeah. And it's... I recall on my first viewing really questioning, like, how much of this is just mental health. But then on my on subsequent viewings, I just kind of... I guess I know that it's zero. Right. right. Yeah. See, okay. Maybe a note about multiple viewings. I don't like watching movies multiple times. Like, mm. if I really enjoyed a movie and I just kind of want to, like, go on that ride again fair enough you know i'll give it another watch but i like your one of your guys's points was that it gets better upon multiple viewings but i don't to think me, it does huh i don't think this one does well you understand I, more I see about more. it yeah, you understand you more about understand it more. Yeah. and to me that is a weakness because my first go on this thing i was confused you said you weren't confused what <laughs> You said you understand everything. No, by the end, I know exactly what's happening with mm. the with the demon possession stuff. Sure, but like you're 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 picking up on all this background stuff, and you're like, oh, they said this, and there was a chalkboard in the back or whatever, and so you like you understand more about the logistics of what happened and of how it all came together. But by the end of it, on my first watch, I I totally understand what has happened. Mm. You know, not necessarily as it's happening, but. Any, anyways, I want to go on that ride, and I think that for me, the subjective experience was like a really great roller coaster ride yeah. that at the end kind of just like flattened out, and like it was that's not so crazy because yeah, the end is so wacky me. that some people didn't like the movie because they don't like the See, end. See, but I think I think that this is maybe it's because I'm desensitized, and like I've seen so many movies and so much like crazy shit happen in movies that it's like okay, they're doing the they're doing the beautiful fucked up ending thing. Like, I don't believe like, you've uh, seen descending. so many movies that are more messed up than this. Yeah, this is about as like, fucked have you up seen, as like, I've seen. Have you seen like Serbian film? And like I, I, think, I have, and this think, is still disturbing. I think maybe it's the it's the it's not like it's the nature of the thing that is fucked up. Like people being demon possessed. Is boring. Like it's like okay, oh, I fell times. out a window and now his spirits in there and like oh my gosh, the cult thing happened. Yeah, but like when was the last like, time you saw a floating mom staring down angrily at her son as she pens her neck off <laughs> and the blood spurting out and it's getting faster that and wasn't, faster. That wasn't. It wasn't horrifying. What's to wrong me. with you? Because because it's like I felt like I was in a haunted house at the PNE or something. I'd no, like, not at all for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm like oh look at this scary thing over here. It's not dread. It's not. Uh, it's not existential horror. But that's the end. That's it's like the like, end of it. That's yeah, like it's the, the final payoff. payoff. It's not like yeah. the payoff. You've it's already like, gone through the horror of it. Yeah. Exactly. That's my whole thing. So you've gone through the horror, and now you're get this like campy, cheesy slasher. Yeah, part. but like even the most cosmic horror still has to go there. Like, okay, we do. No, we it do doesn't. Alien. It gets there. It gets to become like a monster movie. Like, what's a cosmic horror where you're like they never get there? Where there's just a killer killing people. Annihilation. But that's not horror. That's just Cthulhu like Cthulhu stuff. It's just cosmic horror. But Cthulhu even is like that it's when not, you do it in a movie, you still can't get the same effect as the book because the book can be like vague language, but you need a visual of like yeah, what's yeah. going on. But 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 you don't need 
uh, these like cheesy things where someone's is like, oh, I'm looking over here and suddenly there's a person floating in the air sawing their own head off. How horrifying. I want to see that. I want to see that. Yeah, that works for this. It's pretty random. Well, no, because like chopping your head off is clearly a theme for the movie. She she floated. She floated. Where? They've established. What are you talking about? All the window. What? There's an open window? Payman needs three heads also, so there's a reason yeah. why she's cutting her head off. Also, why is she flying around and then suddenly she has to chase after him on the ground? Because she's trying to horrify the kids. Why does she yes. just fly and grab him well, right she's away? she's very floaty. <laughs> she doesn't go yeah. that fast. Yeah, she's fast on the ground. It's just, it's just, there's, this is what I'm saying. There's, it just brings up so many questions where it's like, okay, if you're buying in and you're like, I'm on this ride and I, I want to I wanna be titillated with uh, heads being cut off by piano wire, like, great. Cool, be titillated. But to me, it's like, it's just, it was just cheesy. It was just campy. It's like, oh no, a machete came out of nowhere. Oh, how gory. Look at all the blood. Oh, horrible. To me, it's, it doesn't <laughs> come off that way. Because I think it, it's, even the way she's doing it kind of goes into the theme of it. Where she's like, it's all, it's like a, it's all for you, Damien scene. She's like looking at her son and she's like, this is for you. This is for you. And they don't have to say it because we've seen that like before. But it works into the theme of this family dynamic of it. And so it, it's not just like Jason being like, ha, ha. It's it's still tied into the theme. It's emotional payoff for it all. It's disturbing as fuck. And so it's like that's all I expect out of a horror movie, and it delivers. I don't know well, what you're expecting. Okay, there's okay, genre wait. aspects as well, right? Like, for example, when... Uh, Peter runs into the attic and he closes the door on Annie and you just hear this banging on the door like I don't like she's that. Ba- she's banging and banging to try to get in and then the sh- we see the ba- the <laughs> yeah, source of the banging is, is Annie like sitting on that was she's cheesy crying. right that's no cheesy. it was amazing no she's, that's cheesy David's agreeing with me okay, let wait, me wait, describe wait, wait. to the audience what the wait, fuck I'm I talking about stop <laughs> stop I haven't even told them what I'm talking about <laughs> Annie's like crawling on the ceiling and banging on the on the ceiling with her head like in a in an eerily like unhuman speed I thought that was awesome and that's great imagery and it's just purely horror imagery and actually Straight doesn't need it doesn't need to have unity with the family drama. Even if it does, that's bonus. But it's just part of the genre. I want to see fucked up imagery. Yeah, I, I just, agree. I think it's the fucked idea- up imagery we've seen before. No, here's the thing. Hereditary doesn't follow those cheesy horror tropes like you would see in Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. You do see some inspiration from Exorcist, like you mentioned, mm. um, because that scene is very much like that. But she's possessed. Like, you're you're seeing... Okay, here's the thing is I think it feels cheesy and wrong because it's Uncanny Valley. Like, you're trying to understand it, but it just doesn't make sense to you. And it, it, it's up to, like, the subjectiveness of how you want to interpret well, it, how you want to I see it. I think that one shot in particular doesn't do it for me because you can see that the camera sped up and it's like the sound doesn't match how her head is moving. And so for, like, just a pure... Like from the technical side, technical side, I can't connect with that shot. That being said, when he gets when he's in there and like the naked people are just in the background and there's the headless corpse and like or is the headless corpse even in that scene? I don't know. But then there's his floating mom and like all of that stuff works because like it doesn't feel fake to me. Like it's part of this reality that the movie has created. All right. All right. All right. Look, look, we've addressed this already, but. I will I will say that probably a large reason why I'm unsatisfied by the ending to this movie is because it plays into these horror tropes. And you guys are saying like, hey, it's a horror movie, you know, people are going to be climbing on walls, people are going to be floating around and you know, there's going to be crazy rituals and stuff. It's like, all right, that's part of the horror genre and that's fine. And I don't watch a ton of of horror. I've seen some horror movies. Yep. So I'm I'm familiar with the tropes, but you know, I don't I don't 
I don't seek them out because I love them or whatever. So it's like that's definitely a preference mm-hmm. thing. However, I will say that it was also largely disappointing to me because we got so much promise in the early uh, run. And, and the fact that he wrote this as a family drama and then adapted it into a horror, I think it really shows because I wanted the family drama. I wanted the conclusion to that story. I wanted some confrontation of the issues at hand. Mm-hmm. And instead, we get kind of the confrontation gets cut off and then we get people climbing on walls and cutting heads off and blah blah. I suppose and that's true. So it's like, so it's like, yeah, fair enough. You know, those are horror tropes, and you want to see that. Like the people who go, to, like that would have been disappointing for all the people who got sucked in from the trailer because the trailer is like horror. This is a horror movie. Yeah. And so if everyone went to the theater and you know they saw this movie and they're like, wait, there was no heads cut off, and no people climbing on walls. What the hell? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, you have to please those people. Yeah. So I understand why they did that. I'm just saying that. The, the the immense promise of that family drama was just lost for me. That's you need totally to see that fair. three hour cut. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I, I, to me, I feel the not the same. I feel like they do manage to close the family arc in a mm. way that I'm like, I, I Let's get it. I that. get that. Let's talk and about And then that. to me, just the horror stuff makes it that like instead of it being like family stakes or like even life and death, there's something like the stakes become so large that all the family stuff becomes way more twisted and insane because yep. the stakes are so much higher. So so the protagonist, Annie, right? So what what would we say is her arc? This here? is actually uh well I know what her arc is I think, but I the reason this is a nine and not a ten for me is because the movie isn't very clear in what is the dramatic question of the movie. Right. right. The dramatic, like the outward journey of a movie should be a clear visual thing. It should not be, I want to uh, be in a certain state. I don't want to have like, a, it's not about like a relationship. It should be actually like a visual thing. Like, you know, when it's over, like if it's Joseph's 11 or something, it's when you're walking out with a bag of money that mm. is over. And right. yes, there are internal journeys as well, uh, but that's different. So in this movie, there's never, it's never really clearly stated. Uh, is the dramatic question of the movie, will Annie heal? Will their family move on like it's that's never really clear to me and at the beginning of the movie it's really unclear who the protagonist is mm. uh, I, you almost might think yeah. it's steve because he gets steve a, you at the beginning yes he actually gets the, the most screen time he's the only the one who dad yeah he, he's sure. the only character that talks to all the other characters he's in the opening shot he's he's the one on the phone during the inciting action when they say that uh your grandmother's been exhumed and dug up he's the one who takes that call so you're like I, is he the main I didn't character feel that yeah. way to me i would say that it's more split between uh peter and annie yeah it could definitely be peter like, especially peter, at the end yeah Pe- well, and i would say that in some ways he kind of is he's definitely the audience proxy i wouldn't say he's the protagonist right but he's the eyes of the audience into the movie sure. and that's why it is like, he or is steve no, he's Steve's it's definitely the Peter because he's he's dead. And then, like, think about how Steve scary sucks, Peter sees the horror stuff, and then how peaceful he sees it once he's possessed. Yeah. He's the eyes, I think, of the audience. And like, totally. sure. uh, but but Tony Collette, Annie is the she's the main character. character. She yeah. is the main character. She does drive the story forward, and she has the most screen time. And it's clear by the time that she goes to therapy for sure. Like her eulogy is the first monologue in the movie, and gives the most like exposition, and then. By the time she has her second speech, which is that therapy, it's like solidified that she's the main character. But I'm just saying it's kind of unclear and it's kind of unclear what her arc is or where the movie's going in that way. So I, that's where I would take my that's one fair. point off. What do so, you guys think of those performances? Do you think that across the board they're good? Do you think there's any that are weak? Okay, wait. Let's from talk about Tony that. Wait, or from, wait, from everybody. Wait, I want to talk more about uh, Annie's 
arc because tell me about Annie's because we got we got to address this. Yes. Like you're you guys right, are saying right. that you guys are saying that the characters have like reach you know some sort of confrontation or, fulfill, or fulfillment, and sir, sure they do reach a confrontation. There's conflict. There's physical conflict. But where is the mental emotional confrontation and you know uh, reckoning? Uh, I would say that the themes that Annie is trying to like like the themes that are relevant to Annie in this are. The things that she's struggling with are the heredity of like trauma and like psychoses. Uh, She struggles with motherhood. She never. She says to Peter, "I never wanted to be a mother, but she is a mother." She passed off Charlie to her to her her mom because she didn't know what to do, and she that was just like you know she's screwed up in that way. There there's a there's a uh, dysfunction in the family due to their lack of communication with each other. Uh, They compartmentalize their trauma. Like these are things that that I would have liked to see addressed. But really, they just kind of all stay the same. By the end of it, you're like, sure, maybe Annie gets to a point where she's like, I'm trying to protect the family. Yeah. But there's never a point, that, that's not part of the arc. Like, it's not that she I, I hasn't, why, she I, I think it is actually when she says, uh, she's trying to get this across in therapy where she's like, I'm not to blame, but I am blamed. Yeah. And right. then at the end when she finally is like, takes responsibility for it and is like, I'm going to sacrifice myself, I think... That could be seen as the setup for that payoff. I guess so, but like she is—is is that her accepting the blame for what she, she she doesn't know what she's blamed for? So then she's like, "I'm gonna kill myself." Like that's not that's not progression. That's not confrontation. That's just despair. That's nothing. Nothing happens. I think that like nothing what, happens what, and then they die. I think what you don't <laughs> what you don't like is the thematic payoff to the questions that you're saying that like there is no they, thematic well, payoff. No, because There's Tony only Collette, questions. Tony Collette is the only one active and she's actually seeking help. She's trying to do these things, right? And the payoff for that is death anyway. And so you don't like that if because it's peop- a tragedy. It's a tragedy, and like that's totally fair. You want her to succeed because she tried. But this movie's like, it doesn't matter how you try it, you're going to die. I think even in a tragedy, though, you want to see some sort of progression downwards. You don't want to see, okay, I have this problem and I'm kind of trying to fix it, but then I just fail and we all die. No, but there is absolutely a downward trajectory. She's avoiding her work. She's avoiding her family. She's avoiding therapy. It, it's a constant downward. Well, it's not constant. She oscillates. It usually right, sh- it should right. be an oscillation and it oscillates insofar right. as her actually, she does go to therapy. And she does do the seance and she yeah. does try to get her family involved in it but the demons are too fucked she realizes that she's not actually summoning her daughter right her daughter yeah. is now when she does summon charlie charlie's separated from pyman so charlie's just confused yeah. she's like hello yeah where I, am i, I mom good <laughs> um just a lot of like the bad things that happen too i mean as a mother character you want them to be like the one fixing the family or helping the family. And obviously that's what Annie is trying to do. She's just trying to make things better. But like a lot of the bad things that happen are because of things that Annie's done. Like the seance, like she forces Charlie to go to the party with Peter. This is exactly where I want that's to a go good, next. That's yeah. a good yeah, point. Keep going. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I totally want to touch on that. Um, yeah. Just those kind of things happen because Annie is like, trying to help the family but obviously payment is like no i'm gonna turn this whole thing around on you yeah Yeah. my question is to what extent is annie aware of her role and like and the the involvement so annie she like she seems to have some kind of subconscious awareness of her children's like grim birthrights right because she says i'm not to blame but i am blamed she never wanted peter she says that she almost burned down the house with her kids in it. She's like, she's kind of like against having these kids, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
but it's not conscious. And yet, the other side of that is she does send Charlie along with Peter to the party. Yes. And ultimately, um, she is like subservient in devotion to Pyman at the end. You see her body like bowing down in the in the treehouse. Like why? Uh, and then also she's well, she keeps sleeping in the treehouse. Right, like so, she is an agent of Pyman, but she also subconsciously rejects it as well. She knows that uh, well, she's carrying these bad seeds. I would say that's one of the thematic questions the movie poses: is like, how present are you in your life? How present are these characters in these moment to moments? And the movie says most of them are not present, and that's the problem. None of them are actually aware of what's totally. going on, and she doesn't really know. She she wants things to be better, but she's not willing to put in the actual work to be present in her life. I, I will say that, you know, after, like like you guys, after I watched this movie, I did a bunch of Googling. I searched it up because, it, like, despite my misgivings about how it ended, I, like, there is a lot of depth, as, we, as we've established. There is a lot of depth in this movie. And, you know, you can read into a lot of this stuff, and I agree with you that that, that is the thematic conclusion, I think, that, like, um we are all subject to forces beyond our control and despite our neuroses or, or despite our attempts to get around that, our, our neuroses and our, our hereditary uh, you know, baggage and trauma and, and uh, our own choices in not communicating with our family or whatever, like that, that keeps us down. And I think that that's a good theme. I think that it, I didn't feel it at the end, though. I what I what I wanted was some sort of maybe underscore, like at the very least, an underscoring of that, where like somebody, somebody. Well, I guess that's there. I I mean, I don't want to be harder than on the movie than I want to be because because I I do think that there's a lot of good stuff there and that the six point seven five maybe it's a seven, okay? But like all of that is the, all the great stuff, and. I just I would have liked to see yeah some sort of some sort of conclusion other than life is fucked and then at the end we say life is Yo, fucked. Yo, these people needed Jesus though. <laughs> well, <laughs> Here, okay. Riley is speaking yeah. to something where it's like um, you can have a tragedy, but you still you can't you can have a a bad ending, but not a defeated ending. Yes. So when the tr- mm. when the tragedy happens to the characters, okay, but the the upshot has to be but life goes on or there's a second chance or yes. there's there's some kind of thing that we can grab onto as the audience when you walk out when it's just like completely oh you know what you just i just had a realization thank you james you're welcome because <laughs> you said that <laughs> defeated that's the key word with in a tragedy what i think like it can be sad it can be a bad ending and something that is horrible for everybody but as long as the play the, the player <laughs> This isn't a video game. <laughs> as long as the protagonist has agency and they brought themselves to that point, I think it can still be fulfilling. It's a lesson for us to be like, don't do what yes, they did. As a dark but journey. in this, what are you going to say? You right. know, they it's tried, like they tried, failed. And then she didn't even fail. She tried and Payman killed them all. She didn't try hard, very hard. But though. to me, like, actually, if you're exactly. actually trying to take care of your mental health, like going to group therapy one time, then dodging. Like, even think about that. Like, she meets Joan because she dodges therapy. She avoids the work to be present, and that's what leads her on that path to meet Joan. And Peter is the one who buries it and doesn't... Uh, he, he buries his emotions the most, and he yeah. gets the worst fate. He's totally. inhabited, but... Um, yeah, Steve has the best one. <laughs> Burn alive I, in like a second? Can sure. Steve is super lame? He's a this. therapist. 
Is he? Yes. Okay. The only time you find out anything about him, because <laughs> I'm like, he's so chill. His daughter just died. Yeah. Like the grandmother was living in the house oh. with them, who is just like psychotic. And he had to enforce this like no contact rule. And it's like, how does he have the guts to do that? Yeah. If as someone who hasn't cried for a healthy reason for many years, yeah. I identify so much with Steve. <laughs> Literally. Where he's holding it together because... That's all he can do. He's he's not really trying to make things better. He's trying to smooth over conflict and have things be normal. And that's yeah. a very common thing. Yo, like totally. that's why I go to yeah. therapy is to like not accept normal right. to, to actually work through things. Yeah. Right. But you see him struggle too. You see him taking his pills. You mm. see him break down at the light after he tries to go through a red light. Um, but what I wanted to mention is he's sending a email to his colleague about how he thinks Annie is going crazy. And if you look at his email address it's the exact same as a therapist he's emailing oh. so that's how you know he's a therapist i watched oh. it four times so i finally clued into that i was like that. this guy is so chill what yeah. is wrong with him i love that scene when he breaks down in the car because like that's how grief works for a lot of people it's never like when you're supposed to cry it's just like yeah you say something and he like has a breakthrough and it's just like that's when he has to cry he has to cry right there stop at the red light you know what's weird though is the fact that like he's got a british accent and no, he doesn't. He just has a terrible American accent. He goes yeah. between. He's just a like, bad. He's doing a bad American accent. What I'm saying is like uh, their their son is brown with curly hair. <laughs> Nobody looks or sounds like anyone else in the family. Yeah. But it just doesn't matter, well, I guess. I, I wonder. <laughs> Do, so. They can at the dinner scene, look for a meaning here. she says like nobody wants to take responsibility for anything they do. Uh, and I, she, she looks at the husband when he does that. And I was like, oh, maybe there's like a, a second plot or something about her cheating on him or him cheating on her or something where like there's more to it. And then I'm like, well, maybe he's not his son. I didn't think about that, but I was wondering if Peter was adopted, but it sounds like no. I don't think so. So I think it's just casting. And yeah, I think they just didn't think too hard about like wanting to they make just wanted them look the best to get, people the for same. the roles. Um, and they're all great. They're so good. Can we go back to uh, uh, Tony Collette's character, Annie, for a second? Yeah. Sure. And what James was saying about like everything that she does is kind of in homage to Payman. Like even though she's not subconsciously like having any knowledge about who Payman is or what he is, she just like so happens to have everything lined up perfectly even like the birth of her son for example peter she didn't know that he was going to be this vessel for a demon but she was still responsible for giving birth to him not because she wanted to but because she had to essentially because it's hereditary she is only there so that she can like oh what's the word she's only there so that she can provide something for payment for the grandmother's well, like and they're all getting religion. hexed right there's all these like little hex words written on their walls yeah. and, and, and this is actually a thing that's like they never explain it but you just know well they, you're yeah. just like oh those are weird words i didn't understand it must be because they of this they don't 100 yeah. explain it but there is that part where joan is yelling at peter from across the street <laughs> and she yells a few of the words that are on the wall so then i was kind of like oh so they're like spells or whatever and you can see actually there's a part where peter like looks out his window like he's creeped out and then the shot we get of the house is kind of over the shoulder of some shadowy figure and we see breath so you know yeah. there's a human element at play here there's people that. intervening yeah it. you kind of and i love how they Ooh, don't there's they, more they don't like show the stalker but i like i wrote down i'm like 
oh, Joan's probably the stalker. Because like you, there are a couple of times where you see somebody, like you see somebody put the thing in the mail slot yep. and you see that breast shot. But you know it's yeah. more than just Joan because uh, when Charlie's at school, there's just like a random lady waving at her from across yeah. the street. Yeah, totally. like, Who are these people? Who's this smiling yeah. motherfucker at the right. funeral? So yeah, creepy. you guys, right at the very beginning of this movie when they're coming home from the funeral, if you have your audio loud enough, you can hear footsteps in the house before they oh. end. Oh, creepy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have Bumps right now. That's so. so that's how you know that there's people there. And then the other scene that was so frightening was when you have the scene of the house before just shit gets turned upside down, and then it goes from light to dark, and there's just all of the people standing. I took a picture of it because I I don't know if you guys would have seen it. It, right at the very end of the movie, almost right when they start doing all of the the stuff in the house, and and he gets possessed, and the husband burns. Um, here. This. Do you see all the naked oh people? Oh my god! Did you so see this that? is an exterior shot of the house, like really wide. Yeah. You can see the forest oh, surrounding wow. the house. That. But there's just these. Can you all send me these that little photo bodies. so you can put it in the video? It's so no, freaking creepy. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, I know. Wow. I, I, well, that's why fourth watch. I was like, I've never seen this <laughs> yeah. before. Wow, they're all con. Yeah. So guys, watch there. the movie four times, and then it'll be good. <laughs> and then congregate in the treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so it's only for a split second. So like, it's that weird unawareness that the family has in side of the house but like after kind of viewing it from the cult's perspective you see oh them. is it because like they do that transition where like they'll show the outside of the day for like a couple frames and then cut it to night that's exactly oh, okay yeah. that's yeah that's brilliant i love oh that. and you're so yeah. discombobulated yeah exactly. you're like, oh, oh it's night okay exactly Editing. so where where does this stand for you guys on like the echelon of horror like Oh, we we gave it nine. What did you give it, Sarah? I gave it a nine as well. Yeah, so nines are, is pretty high. I think in the last thirty movie thirty years, the only other horror movie that's a nine for me is like Get Out. Get okay, Out. Is very I, good. I was going like to ask movie. this. I was going to ask this. So you guys think Get Out is a horror? For sure. Well, that's bo- that's one of those borderline. Like some sure. people think thriller isn't a real genre. It's like an overflow genre. But um, thriller I, is sort of like I, in my mind, that's what you just call a scary movie that's not quite like fully horrifying. It com- it's like the gore level. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I gauge my horror. But I think like these the the names wait, are wait, wait, not wait. meaningful. It's you, like it's clearly part of that movement. Sarah Are you just, pointing at me? Sarah just said she doesn't like Get Out. No, Sarah just said, you just said You don't that like Get Out? The gore is what makes horror? No, okay. I've said that, I think I said this in the very first podcast episode of when we did Alien. The way that I gauge my horror movies and thrillers and slashers is thriller is very much based around the plot and making you feel stuff. It, they don't want that like shock value of like the gore and the blood. That's when we go into horror where there's like almost equal amounts of plot development and blood and gore. Just like this movie, for example, where you see in a thriller, you wouldn't necessarily see Charlie's head on the side of the road. Fuck no. In most horror movies, even like. Um, I mean, they shot like her head exploding and stuff like they shot every version yeah, of it 100%. like there's like a there's a version of this movie where like you would see her head like come off and like they explode oh, yeah. and like the body fall and like okay so that so i think this is solidifying for me that the thing that i don't like is these horror conventions i think because like I don't know, guys. We called it at the beginning. We called yeah, it's, <laughs> what? It's a preference thing. He just said yeah. he called it at the beginning that you don't like horror, yeah. and now you're coming around to it. Well, I don't like saying I don't like horror because, like, I'm open to watch any movie. It's not like if, if once I find out that it's a horror movie, I'm mm. just be like, "Ew, no, I don't want to see blood." Like, it's not that. It's it's that when it is used 
cheaply, it 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 bothers me. Like I have no problem with gore in movies. You know, like explode all the heads you want if the movie is a fulfilling journey that makes me feel something, right? Yeah. And I and I think the problem with this is that it didn't make me feel. So here's me, here's it, something for you, Riley. I learned uh, many years ago uh, as a as a new Tool fan. <laughs> in the 90s, Tool's videos were a lot of them were stop motion. Right. And they're just really creepy little stop motion figures, like just doing random things. Like you can, there's like pipes with meat coursing through them. It's just so weird. And I remember like Googling an early Google, like, what does this video mean? Yeah. And then interviews saying, well, it doesn't mean anything. There's no plot there's nothing there's no statement in this in this video it's actually just a bunch of evocative imagery made made to feel you uh, to make you feel unsettled and so for me when there's something like in midsummer or in this movie where there's just a gratuitous shot like i don't need to see her festering head on the ground in the daylight for like five seconds yeah i don't that's not serving a plot purpose it's actually just making me sit on my couch like ah that See, but is, okay. I don't need that to mean anything. I can just feel the feeling. 100%. 100% and I'm, you know, I totally, I get that, you know. Uh, the purpose is to make people feel unsettled. But I think that make it the uh, you have to have a reason for unsettling people. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Otherwise, it's just aesthetics. Otherwise, it's just window dressing. No, but otherwise, there is it's a purpose. Just, otherwise, there is a purpose. Wait, wait, wait. Otherwise, it's just a stupid action movie with a lot of explosions. Yeah. You're being titillated. Yep. I don't want to be titillated. I want to be engaged. I want to be taken on a journey. Here's the reason why that head is there. The whole idea of the movie, the central kind of idea that keeps getting asked is like, deal with your shit. That is what happens when you don't deal with your shit. The head gets eaten by ants. It's like a visual no. for not dealing with and, your stuff. And, oh, and no one even already, collected the head. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And, yeah. And we've already and we've already talked about this where like okay, yeah, you, you know, you could you could argue that the the lesson of the movie is that the people didn't deal with their shit and so this happened. Mm-hmm. And fair enough, but what I'm my point is that okay. I didn't feel like that point was hammered home. That's fair. It was just that a bunch of stuff happened and then more bad stuff happened. Fair. So Anyways, we've already covered that. I really want a t-shirt with the seal of Pyman on it. It's a beautiful... Yeah, you wouldn't wear that shit. I think it's creepy. My my favorite thing about my research and like to the occult about this movie is how many people are mad at this movie because they made an audience an unwitting member member of the ritual to summon payment and they really believe that this movie has power to summon payment and that oh we've brought God. payment into well, power in this world. That's the beauty of A24. Yeah. Did you know A24 <laughs> literally tried to get the cult of Satan or the church of Satan to endorse the witch? Oh <laughs> like gosh. legitimately A24 That's you guys hilarious. are awesome. The church, do- the church of Satan is awesome. Those guys are cool. <laughs> it, you should watch it. I'm not even trying to be like about it. There's a Netflix documentary about it and it, they're just like a cool like Political activist group. I because think obviously awesome. they're not. They don't actually believe in yeah. Satan and they're all this stuff. It's, it's, I think it's hilarious. It's a bit yeah. of a meme. I though. would totally put a little statue of Bathmet in my house. Like I think it's. Totally, all. I have this man. little display case in this house that I'm renting nice. now, yeah. and I, we don't know what to put in there. Right? There's just a picture of my <laughs> wife with Polly Shore when he was at a bar that <laughs> oh she was at in Surrey. God. But I, I'm thinking about putting maybe some red lights in there and some. Sure. Going back to the movie real quick. <laughs> oh, real quick. The point of the podcast. Anyways, um, the party. <laughs> Uh, in what world would an 18 well I don't know how old Peter actually oh is but in what he, world he's doing would SAT he be like, prep so he's in grade 12 <laughs> okay yeah when, why Why would he agree to take Charlie to this party like okay. as soon as the mom asked him he, he's like well she doesn't want to go and then the mom's like 
did you ask her? And he's like, no. But he's never like, no, I don't want to take Charlie to this party. And that's See, exactly what I would expect this is interesting. from him. Lauren said the same thing when we were watching right? it. She was like, what the heck? That would never happen. He, he would fight back. And I'm like, you underestimate the libido and uh, of, of teenage boys. <laughs> yeah. He just wants to, man, he d- he's not thinking about all that. Like, he yeah. doesn't care. He just needs to get this party and see totally. this chick. But he also sold it as a school thing. Yeah, yeah he right. told her it was like a but school barbecue. He backed himself in the corner with that. But he said that, and then when the mom goes down to ask Charlie, she says, do you want to go to this party with your brother? So, like, I don't know. No, Charlie said no. That all tracks to me, because she doesn't want to go because she's so, like, such a loner. But the mom, at this point, has, like, now doubled down on making Peter take her. Yeah. And she's, like, just recovered her from being, like, weird and not normal. She's like, she has to do something normal right now or else I'm going to be crazy. Uh, and so that all tracks to me. No, yeah, she's struggling. Like Annie is struggling with motherhood. Like yeah. that, that is a way to illustrate that she is not a good mother, and yeah. she, you know, because she hasn't had a good example. You know, yeah. she's she's screwed up or whatever. But like that's her making a, a bad decision. And to me, yeah, like Peter's. <laughs> Peter's just lying and saying whatever he will say in order to get to this party. They like, also don't care. talk much. They don't talk no. much, right? Yeah. So no. th- oh. he's not going to push back because he doesn't want to have a conflict. But also, exactly. I believe that's the first the first conversation they have in the whole movie. They're in the funeral room together. But other than that, you do not see Annie interact with Peter until like 25 minutes in. Huh. It's like the oh. last interaction. Mm. It actually just goes to show how like they're, they're so, so disconnected from each other. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. really don't uh, establish like... The uh, the relationships between those those characters, and that's because they don't have much of a relationship. Yeah. Um, Ari Aster made Alex Wolf take Millie Shapiro out for lunch almost every day when they were in Utah, so that <laughs> their characters could get used to each other. Yeah, which is so cool. What do you mean? Like, like he was just like, here, you need to take her. Like, you need to experience what it's like to have a little sister in order to, like, get into your character properly. Oh, so that he can be irritated by having a little sister. Yeah, and then also (laughs) during the car scene when he is sitting there after she dies, he feels more of an emotional connection. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about that. That was masterful in my opinion. I love that they show restraint. Like, you see that, you see her about to approach it. You hear the smack, the drop, and then just his reaction for two different scenes. It's one, it's him... The first thing I love is that he kind of inherits her struggle to breathe. Right. And I don't know if it's like a spiritual thing or it's just like afterwards. No, immediately. Immediately he was like breathing fine and he starts wheezing. He's like, What? In the car? In the car. Yeah. He's wheezing. I didn't know that. And then it comes back later. And so I love that. I love his reaction. And then I love the next scene when he's just in bed because he went home, didn't tell anyone, just the body in the back, doesn't know what to do. And he just lies there and it's just a close up on his face, like thousand yard stare. And you just hear the mom discover it. That is like the most amount of restraint because, like, most filmmakers would want to like dig out the drama of that moment to be like show the mom like crying all this yeah. stuff. But man, it's I, almost I, too far though. I, really? Well, no, it would be. Yeah, this oh, is enough do, because the, all that. the yeah. concept psychologically is so disturbing. Yeah. It's enough for you to imagine it yourself to be like, oh my god, can you imagine doing that? Like you discover this headless yeah. body of a little girl. Oh, it's just so repulsive that you don't need to see it, and almost might be off-putting to see it. Well, and like, I, I, what I like too is like I can also identify with Peter, where like you're stoned and you oh, do something totally. really bad, and you're like, I can't deal with this right now. Like I can't, I can't, and like you just have to avoid it. But like, obviously, I've never killed my sister, but like. <laughs> Like I don't know. Like I just I, I identified with both sides so. And you much. can see his his eyes being open in the morning. I think that's yeah. another one of those like cuts where hours yeah. pass and his eyes are still open. You can see that 
he hates himself for yeah. it too. Totally. I, I really respect Ari Aster. Aster. Ari Aster. <laughs> Ari Aster what? Ari, I already asked her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really respect him for that whole sequence yeah. from like Peter bringing his, bringing Charlie to the car and that, you know, the accident and afterwards him going to the, like, that is just, to me, objectively the best, well, okay, not objectively, but to me, that was absolutely the best part of the movie. And uh, yeah, I just, you just feel that horror There's so one good. thing I hated about that. What? Uh... I, it just makes me cringe. So the part where Annie is just bracing herself on the ground, it feels so real and so emotional. Like, I, I don't know. I've never lost anybody, but I can imagine that's what it would be like. And to she's like just wailing. Yeah. 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 I want to die. Why did they have lightning and thunder? That's like, did oh, you guys notice that? that? Wait, oh when? my gosh. In the background, while she's like bracing herself on the ground, oh. they just had lightning and thunder in the background. I'm like, why did you add that? It, this is, the scene is already so yeah, emotional. Also, she discovers the body in the morning. Yeah. And then it's like, so when is she having this break? Maybe for the like, next like, 25 day. hours. Yeah, for the next rest of her life. <laughs> yeah. I found I, I was more distracted because I just watched uh, the first part of Midsummer, and I was like, "Oh, this is so similar to Fran- Florence Pugh like wailing when her boyfriend yeah. after she just her friend died." And I right. was like, "Oh, he likes this scene, doesn't he? He likes the style of scene." Yeah, that Arc- is similar in Midsummer. Spoiler for yeah. Midsummer, yeah, it's it's, it's her yeah. her sister. <laughs> yeah, like murder suicides her own parents. And oh, again, it, it's oh, like I don't know it was his sister. I never. Yeah. Picked, I've missed that. In both cases, it's basically the upshot is incalculable suffering. Yeah. being expressed like just through wailing. And in both of those movies, you're just like, oh, this is just like more that I can handle are, right now. Are we to understand that they didn't talk about the accident? Really afterwards? Um, actually, Annie brings it up with Joan when she's sitting there. She's talking about how she found... Um, she says at first it's a smell. Yeah, she found Charlie's body and yeah. she was saying how the body was just covered in this like black tar that was blood. Yeah. Oh, later on, there's a there's a shot that I didn't understand I was going to ask you about. Yeah. I think it's when she's having tea at Joanne's. Yeah. But there's like a little black speck yes. she pulls out her mouth. Is that meant to be the yep. tar from her body? No. Or what, uh-uh, or what uh-uh. is that? So... Essentially, throughout the movie, there's also this herb that is probably associated with payment. I'm not 100% sure, but there's a few times we see it. Right at the beginning, when they're at the funeral, there's a lady putting oil on the grandmother's lips. That's probably the same herb, as well as there's a picture of the grandmother feeding Charlie, and there's the black herbs at the bottom of the bottle. And then you see it as well when Annie's drinking that tea. She yeah. pulls it out of her. Oh, that's oh, awesome. You know it could be like a control herb You know what this is? This is so funny. Like, okay, so now I'm exp- now I'm like looking at horror from the lens of like a Star Wars fan or something. Where it's like, <laughs> where I watch a Star Wars movie and I'm paying attention to all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's a DL-44 blaster. Like, I, I know all the, like, <laughs> E-11 standard issue yeah. Stormtrooper rifle. Like, I... I pick up on this stuff, so yeah. now I'm like, oh, this is what horror that's fans so love. Yeah, you have to understand. Understand. And it's just like, and just like oh, put that's the like pieces a... <laughs> together, even if it means absolutely nothing for yeah. the story, but yeah. doesn't make the movie yeah, necessarily man. better. You have to understand cool the world. You have to right. understand the universe, exactly. because, like, for right. example, uh, Sarah and I have been watching Wicker Man, both versions, uh, and thinking like, oh, whoa, Ari Aster took a lot from these movies, especially like Midsummer. Oh, yeah. It's like right. they're like pagan kind of horror movies. Yeah, its own. Yeah. I've been informed it's its own subcategory of horror as all these like pagan movies. Right, right. So when you know that kind of stuff then you know when when they're talking about pyman and how pyman will 
bring you uh, wealth and good familiars. I was like, what the hell is good familiars? Like slaves, I, isn't it? No, I Googled it. I, I thought it was it's just like, like relations. But yeah, it's animals. Yeah. It's like pets. So in witchcraft lore, it would be like familiars are these animals that kind of serve you and they're not real. They're like yeah. apparitions. They look real. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but they're like your weird creepy servants. Like, I am Newt. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just... The Salem, Salem the cat and Sabrina yeah, is a familiar. Exactly. There you go. That's interesting. I know vampire, everything about this Because for stuff. vampires, a familiar is, is their servant human. Oh, oh. creepy. Okay. So humans are like pets. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you guys compare this to Midsummer? Which one do you think he's better? I want to know what Riley, which one Riley likes yeah, better. Yeah, me too. Okay, so this this is actually an interesting question because I saw Midsummer and I think I kind of got a similar feel where it's like it's a lot of great setup, interesting characters, but then it just, for me, again, it devolves into into shock horror silly stuff uh. like, I, like I and I think that I think that there is I think there's a bit more characterization in Midsummer. I think I would say I like Midsummer more because there is a very clear journey there and there is almost a success story in the in um Danny is her name yeah in in her uh separating herself from this well, he's not really an abusive boyfriend, but he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And kind of like freeing herself from that and like ascending to be the, the summer totally. queen or whatever. Get, her her, her feelings queen. are validated and it's kind of one of those, uh, there's a category of movie, of story archetype. Like, you know how there's like heist movies. There's this kind of movie. This this type, That movie is called like um, Institutionalized. So oh. she goes from being an individual to joining the group. Right. Uh, yeah. There's that, and so there's a clear journey there. I think I like that a bit more. But again, I I think all of the, all of the little like shock moments where, where they show like a mutilated face or something. Yeah, or like she, you know, they go into the barn and that person's like flayed out or whatever. And it's like that's horrifying. Sure, it's like oh my god, that's but there's flowers. He's still alive. Yeah, and he's still alive, and it's like oh my gosh, that's horrible. But it's like why though? You know, like I, <laughs> I think that's I if I express anything in in this podcast. <laughs> It's that the reason I don't like these things is not because it's like um, gruesome. Gruesomeness will never uh, make me not like a movie. It's just when I when it happens and I don't know why it's happening and it seems superfluous and, and surface level. That's that's when I don't. Oh like man, it. you sound exactly like my wife watching Marvel movies. <laughs> this is Larissa being like, and now he's gonna punch him. Ugh, who that's cares? But see, but the thing about superhero movies is that often, like, yeah, okay, sometimes you have like fights where it's just like, oh, something cool happens because we want to have something cool happen. But often in superhero movies, you have people punching each other because there's a heavy emotional weight behind it. Yeah, but why do they need to punch for? like 10 minutes long it's just because that genre you want to see action and again there's nothing wrong with spectacle but there has to be something underneath it but i'd say i'd say that both ari aster movies absolutely have that something underneath it you're just not connecting with it but like hereditary does midsummer absolutely like when they're having the weird drug trip stuff it's not just like drug trip dude (laughs) it's like no this is part of this journey part of the story part of the theme that's funny because i think that the drug trip is is a scene that sticks out in my mind as being mostly super like why what does she learn there what does anyone what how does that advance the story at all beyond her just being kind of scared she's separating from like her reality she's she's joining a different not to say like dimension but like she's just trying to avoid the reality of things at that yeah you're right she's in the she's in the upside down world when you scroll she's not trying to avoid it she gets roped into it she doesn't even want to take it 
No, but well, it's that's, like, that's need... hero's journey stuff. That's yeah. the debate. So. Yeah, fair. I, denying I, the call. I would ag- I would agree that Midsummer is a bit better in that regard. Uh, like I said, but you know, Hereditary lets me down. I thought that Midsummer was better than Hereditary until I watched Wicker Man, and I realized so much of Midsummer is made up of everything that happens in Wicker Man. Oh yeah. Not to say that. Okay, here's the thing. If Ari Aster had said, yes, Midsummer was completely inspired by Wicker Man, I just wanted to make like a better, more modern version, I would have been like, okay, sure, yes, Ari, like you got this. This is a beautiful movie. But he literally said he specifically didn't look to Wicker Man for inspiration, and that kind of makes me mad. So well, maybe that's why it's just like Wicker Man, though, because he didn't know that he was repeating. Yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> no. it's, it's all based on pagan culture, or like, no. Or yeah, but Wicker Man is the like quintessential example of the pagan movie era kind of thing. Fair enough, but it's like, though, I I, I can imagine that like he kind of came to the same conclusion from a separate route because uh, like you read the same inspiration, you find like the top five pagan books, and you're like you both read the same ones and you're like oh yeah I'll, I'll put this scene i'll put this scene i'll put this scene yeah, and like it yeah. starts to resemble each other it could happen but even it sucks i haven't that, seen wicker man so that could know. happen but regardless of his attitude it's kind of like I, i'm not mad that like very similar movies get made again and again for example the newest uh the invisible man uh the invisible man is just another hollow man the invisible man is like a property that's been around since like the 30s or something right There's all sorts of books and movies about it there's screenplays that never got made and the thing that's cool about the invisible man the newest one is that this time it's from the perspective of the victim mm. instead of the perspective of the invisible man mm. and that's all you need to make it a fresh new take right and so for midsummer it is one of those pagan movies uh but instead of it being from the like in wicker man it's a cop trying to investigate this now it's from the perspective of of Daddy. of the may queen yeah which is before in the in the wicker man he's just like who is this maid queen and he's like trying to find her and stuff. oh okay so it's just you just flip that and you have a new movie and yeah. I, he executed executed it brilliantly. so which one do you like movie. which one do you like better uh i remember when i walked out of midsummer i was like hereditary is better but this is also very good um but now that i've seen them both twice i think i like them both equally interesting i would say i like hereditary more i think i connect more with like the emotional side of it midsummer I watched the first half of Pretty Stoned with like, at your place, and that was crazy. It was so emotional. And then the second half, I just watched after I finished uh, Hereditary. <laughs> so I stayed up till one, and I found like I was like, "This, this isn't emotional at all." It's <laughs> it's it's really good, and it's so beautiful, and there's so much interesting stuff happening. But I also found that like uh, there's a lot of it that I'm like. I just wish I was stoned watching this. <laughs> like, if I wasn't stoned watching Midsummer, I just like, eh. See, but that, you know, that's, I don't think that's a hallmark of quality. I think it is, though. I think it's I just wish a I different. I stoned right now. No, but it's not about <laughs> better or worse. It's just about, like, like, in the same way that her taking the drugs in the movie helps her disconnect from her reality so she can then attach to their perspective, their culture. It's the same here, where you're able to just, like, let go of, like, a little bit of your anchoring into this world and like go along with that journey a little bit more and i think we've talked about this before on the podcast but like i feel like i do that pretty easily regardless like i'm like apparently not and i think that's but i think that's why i get it ended up end up being disappointed by some of these movies because i'm so in it that i want that journey to be full you know like i'm 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 like going along with them i'm feeling the emotions i'm feeling the 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 trauma and i want there to be some sort of conclusion so that i can exit and when that stuff doesn't happen then i feel like i'm just kind of trapped in this in between he never exits he's still in the house exactly did you feel that with midsummer um midsummer was hard you know i don't did i just say that i like midsummer more than you did say that i think that 
They kind of end the same. I might have to say that they're they're around the same quality for me, but for different reasons. Like Mm. Hereditary builds up all this really cool emotional uh, stuff and like the 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 themes of heredity and the family dysfunction and all that stuff. It like really does a great job of building that up. And Midsummer, I feel like I connected a lot less with the characters, but there is a more satisfying journey from start to end there. So I don't know. I think they're about the same then in that in that regard. One question I wanted to ask though was you guys were talking about Wicker Man. Does Wicker Man sort of have that same well, I guess it's from a different perspective. But I thought one of the cool things about Midsummer is that it's this horror movie, but it's still like it's so bright in the that's daytime. The, it's that's... so wonder. Like it's so it's so beautiful, and and it still manages to elicit this sense of dread, even without all these tropes of like the dark house and the you know lightning and thunder and stuff. That's why I praised Midsummer to begin with. I was like, this is such a dark story, but right. like with such beautiful visuals. And yeah. I was like, I don't. I've never watched another horror movie like it in that regard. And then I started reading about it, and then a lot of the reviews were like oh this is just a new version of wicker man but so we, i was like i need to watch wicker man we can't, now. i think those reviews are um they fail because they use the word just because having seen both wicker men uh they both fucking suck for different reasons like the 70s one is better but it's so 70s and so weird and editing so wacky and there's it like reminded the, me of jaws a lot the opening credits has like three songs and they're wacky folkloric <laughs> songs we were like listening to the freaking like lyrics of them like and it's boring and it sucks and then the new one the nicholas cage 2006 one Way suck. It the sucks worst. so bad. The Dude, the B, that B scene isn't even in the goddamn movie. What? That's an alternate take that if you buy the oh. Blu-ray or if you buy the DVD, you're not even getting that scene. That's amazing. You, you want to watch it. that. Oh, not not the bees. Yeah. You have to go to YouTube for that. Oh, I'm man. so disappointed, man. That's so funny. Yeah, I think like it's it's a, it's a such a reductive view to be like, this story has been told. So like anything right. that tells the same story is no good. Like. Star Wars is a story yeah. that's been told a million times, and I yeah. bet you still like Star he's, Wars. He's telling it best, and the visuals are the best. Yeah. Yeah. To totally. be fair, like I still love Midsummer, and I would recommend it for yeah. sure. I think I just lost a little bit of respect for Ari Aster in that sense, where he didn't credit. Yeah, them. sure. I'm um, excited to watch it again. I feel like there's so many layers to just unravel in all these movies that the more you watch, the more you get. I want to bring back Get Out for a second because that I loved Get Out. Get Out is like I I I was so into it. Mm-hmm. We and, have to cover Get Out. Yeah, we definitely have so to cover it on the yeah. podcast. But like, okay, uh, we won't do spoilers. But like, t- there's way more of a fulfilling character arc in that to me. For sure. And, like they address they 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 address the issues head on, <laughs> literally <laughs> and metaphorically. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just like if if Ari asked Aster, I already asked her could <laughs> write a movie that like had all of the quality that was in these movies in terms of in terms of the you know the, the the set design and the and the cinematography and the music and and on all these little tiny background details like if you could take that and write a more fulfilling character story that might be the best horror movie I ever. think I think we're like seeing him on the upswing because he Man, first he, two movies first two movies are both and like to be fair get out was them. the first movie from Peel as well that's true but he was writing before and doing other stuff yeah uh, and Ariaster was as well but he like shorts. he came out of nowhere uh, right. for most people for me in particular and so. I'm very excited to see where he takes it. He do, has 10, do you know what he's doing next? Uh, I don't know. He has 10 scripts written that even before he started Hereditary, he had 10 movies that he wants to make in his life. And so we've seen two. Who knows where he goes? How many of them are about cults? Yeah, uh, right? Apparently they're like a cover of a variety of genres. Okay. 
Uh, and I, so yeah. <laughs> I feel that I way too. I'm like, Ari Aster does follow these themes with like head trauma and uh, family tragedy, right. cults. Yeah. Bring it on. I could do another one. But <laughs> I, I'm ready for it to like I, evolve I, yeah. a little bit and change. Like I want to see, like you, like you said, his technique and his eye and his taste uh, in something totally different. Oh, Okay, I just remembered Buddy something about movie. Midsummer. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do Midsummer now at this point because no, we've no, already no. talked about it so much. But the other reason why I was so frustrated at Midsummer is because they don't leave. Like they can't. Where are they going to go? There are so many times when they're like this is not right. People are dying. People are disappearing. We we know that this is a cult that kills people. Well, they try to, and then they yeah. get the hell out of there. They can't leave. Where are they going to go? The they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. The main characters don't. They don't have Riley, yeah, they, they don't don't have so service. They don't have cell service. No, no, no. And they it's can't not even that. Though. It's not even that. They there's two of them are there because they're academics and they want to study it. They don't want to leave before these ceremonies. And then Danny, when she says she wants to leave, she she gets minimized. Her opinion mm. gets devaluated. Yeah. De- devalued. And she totally. says oh, we should stay for this. And she goes oh, okay because yeah. that's her whole arc. And the other two do 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 try to leave and get killed for it. Yeah, exactly. No, what's his name? The the guy from the guy from the good place. Yeah, oh, but a weird looking dude. He's just a weird dude. And huh? he's like, he's just a weird dude. He's hoping to get laid from some Swedish right, chick. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Sorry, not that guy. That guy's funny. No. I actually really liked it in Midsummer how funny it was Mark. because of that dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I may, maybe that's why I thought that the 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 seance part in Hereditary was was supposed to be funny because yeah. I was like, that's oh, there's fu- funny. I laughed. In but he pees on the tree. Funny. Yeah, I don't oh know. my it was gosh. Just frustrating. Anyways, whatever. But which guy? Which guy are you thinking that doesn't? The, leave? Sir, the guy, the, the black guy from the Good Place. He wants to stay to study everything. Yeah. He's doing his. His uh, dissertation, paper. but he didn't try to leave. He, no, why he, would he well, leave? Well, yeah, he's that he's found his life's purpose is to study it. Anyway, You're I think <laughs> I'm so angry. We have to have some kind of consensus. Is it like Ari Aster, Ari Oster, Ari Aster? Ari Aster. Aster. <laughs> Are you mixing A sounds? Anyway, I think Ari that he, Aster. to me, as uh, someone who hasn't seen The Witch or The Babadook or other like modern horror like things that are really highly acclaimed, I'm sorry I haven't seen them. But in my limited view, I think Ari Aster is like king of horror right now and uh, way better than mike flanagan who's like the haunting of hill house and Bl- bly manor guy yeah. that guy's okay and dr sleep he, yeah i like i liked hill house but bly manor's lame yo let's do babadook because i that, i hear I that that one's really good no, really the witch, the you're the witch. saying this really i want to do the witch so bad yeah, i would way rather do I want, the witch. I, I, I love I, robert eggers 100 down for the witch and bag babadook and oh my god what a twist yeah. this is crazy <laughs> what do you mean we're turning riley a into a horror, horror podcast like I said, I hear that they're good movies. I want to yeah. see them. I don't care what genre they are. Yeah. But first, next week, we need to do Borat 2. Yes, you may. <laughs> <laughs> my life. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right, everybody. We are going to be watching Borat 2. Uh, the day it comes out is like, a, to, to, I think this, it's a Friday on Amazon Prime. This Friday, 23rd. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> And we are going to be uh, checking that out next week. Unfortunately, we wanted this to be the Halloween episode, but that's just not going to happen, I guess, yeah. with Borat. But uh, it sounds like we're going to be doing some horror things maybe monthly. And sure. mm, the tribe has spoken. We're doing Lord of the Rings. Woo! Nice. There's some debate I'm internally sort of, of whether or not that includes like The Hobbit. Yes. Don't you bother. Have to. You have to. <laughs> Don't we, bother. Do we have to? You absolutely <laughs> have to. David is clearly a maybe later. You can't <laughs> just like fan. pretend. You it doesn't have to be three episodes. In my if I was up to me, we would do Fellowship of the Ring, Hobbit one, two towers, Hobbit two, three, three, and then you're going good, bad, good, bad. You get to appreciate the bigger dynamics of it. You know, but what, I'll right? settle hey. for one super Hobbit episode. David, I'll tell you right now, I'm not watching three Hobbit movies. If the first one sucks, I'm, I'm like, I share a house with another person. You know? I can't be like, <laughs> so do I. Sword, huh? 12 hours of shit. <laughs> 
You know what the problem is for me is that The Hobbit is like to me The Hobbit is like the uh, sequel trilogy Star Wars movies. Like the prequels were bad, but there was enough good stuff in them that you're like they're still part of the saga. You know, when you talk about the Star Wars saga, saga, it's one, two, three, four, five, six. To me, like, and you can okay. say it's seven, eight, nine for better or for worse. But the Hobbit like, is better than the prequel trilogy. Is it? It is better than the prequel trilogy. Oh my god! Stop starting shit now. I've only gonna... seen the first one, and I thought this was yeah as bad. Neither of you have seen it. What do you know? Nobody <laughs> likes you know? it. I saw part of the second one or something. It's so clear that that the Lord of the Rings trilogy was like a, a goose that laid a golden egg, and then they were like, "How can we put our forum up this goose's no, ass and grab not, more money?" That's not true. <laughs> it was gonna be so good. Okay, wait. And this then is, the wait, last second, wait, this is wait, fucked wait, it all this up. Is, this is content for the for the Lord of the Rings stuff. So let's not. All right, I'm Lord upset. of the Rings and horror and a couple other spicy ones in between. That's what we're doing in the future. <laughs> Until theaters open again in Never. seven years. <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter at Carpool Critics. You can email us. Did you guys know? We have a new email address. Hello Ooh. at Carpool Critics. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was unplanned. <laughs> that became a thing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> then bye bye. See you later. Bye. Love you. <laughs>